Folks, we lost a good one this week. Christopher Fowler, author of the Bryant and May Mysteries, uh, passed away on the 3rd. He may be most notably in your mind because of a tagline that he wrote. You may not even know that he wrote it, but he is the one who wrote perhaps the most famous movie tagline of all time. From Alien in 1979, in space, no one can hear you scream. Boy, you don't even know how much that changed the world in terms of greatness of taglines. So shout out to you, Christopher Fowler, into the great beyond. This week's episode is a continuation of the first two-part series that I ever recorded for the podcast that began as Create Collaborate morphed into The Reluctant Book Marketer, and now is known as TRBM, which no one knows what it stands for. But uh, really enjoy this one, and I am actually currently midway through editing it, so I, I don't know what all will stay and what will go. I mentioned before that as the conversation progressed, we kind of moved over into some conversations about religion and spirituality, uh, I'll be honest, I actually don't even remember if I recorded it all or if at some point I uh, quietly went ahead and stopped the recording to continue the conversation without fear that I would choose to keep the recording. Honestly, I don't know. So we're both going to be surprised by what I keep and what I cut, what goes to the cutting floor, if you will. Uh, but either way, I will, I will do what I think makes for the most compelling and interesting listening experience, which is what I'm always trying to do. Uh, here is another plea to dive in to the review process, especially singly at this moment for my novel, The Nine Lives of Marva DeLonghi. We're up to 17 ratings and reviews. That's really fantastic. I have been tireless in bugging people. I probably have burned some bridges by saying, hey, have you reviewed my book yet? And you may be tired of listening to this podcast because you're like, does this guy only record a podcast to get ratings and reviews? Well, the answer is no. I can't keep bringing this podcast to you indefinitely if I don't build enough momentum that people outside of my direct sphere of familiarity buy my book. I need lots of people to buy the book. And in order for that to happen, I need algorithms and computations and jiggles and jaggles and dits and dots and timpos and tampos, all the fake words. I need those saying, oh, this must be a really good book. It's getting a lot of reviews and ratings, etc." I do have a website where you can buy all of my work cheaper than anywhere else. And if you're one of the lucky ones, you probably have seen my ad on Facebook before because I'm running ads every day. If I told you, I think I did in a previous episode, I am spending $30 a day on ads. And right now I am at the break-even point for my ads, which does not cover the other costs of, you know, owning a store, bookstore, blah, 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 blah. You don't really care about this, but I just want you to know we're making progress. This thing does work. I love selling books. I hate not selling books. And I really believe that there is a road forward where a small time, small town, almost 40 year old man can make a living off of his writing, live his dream, maybe not lavishly for a little while, but get by, scrape by, you know, feed my children and give my wife a gift from time to time, like a plant or something. She loves plants. If you have potted plants that you want to just mail to me, 
my address is out there. Just mail the potted plants because she loves them. And she will take anything and try to revive it. Yes, we have a lot of rescue mission plants. Our house is covered in greenery. Anyway, this has been a ridiculously long introduction. I just wanted to thank you for being a listener of TRBM. If you love the show, feel free to share it with others. But if you really, really love the show, make sure to rate and review my novel, The Nine Lives of Marva DeLonghi. I'll remind you just quickly that XE Sands, the amazing and brilliant award-winning audiobook narrator, is reading my series, The Luke and Time Mysteries. The first two books will drop in June. And if you want them for only $10, you can buy them direct from my store. The link will be in the show notes. Without further ado, please, and thank you, enjoy the wrap-up to my conversation with Jason Chang. If you've ever watched an author read in public and felt bored, TRBM is the antidote. TRBM is for writers what time-lapse was for painters. Guitar solos and spotlight were for bands, and what chainsaws and icebox were for sculptors. What does TRBM stand for? Tame radical by machetes? Tarkington rowling bellows Malibud? Textured rabbit beautiful mediocrity? Well, you decide. This is the first time I've ever done a two-parter um, on, on this podcast. I don't know if I'm going to end up threading oh, it together. I don't know what I'll cut, what I'll keep. Yes, absolutely. I've had a couple of, of recurring guests, uh, but I've never done a two-part episode before. We didn't finish telling the story, and I felt like there was so, so much uh, just gold in the idea, and we collaborated really well in creating kind of characters and interesting scenarios. So that is where I sent back the the invite for things. So we don't have to do any of the mm-hmm. uh, the niceties, the getting to know each other. We can just dive right back into the story. Um, so, but quick recap is we have got Oren is the bad guy. He's the guy who has framed our main character and set this whole kind of plot in motion. And and so we've got this little Stepford Wives kind of community and they're both living there. Then we've got Peaches, who's like a Joker character who has her own desires and just wants to see the world burn in a sense. Fill in for me what you think are the most important elements of the story yeah. so that we've told the, so far. One of the biggest themes of it is power and the use of it. Because Oren uses his connections to get Alan expelled from university simply because he was jealous of Alan's accomplishments. Alan is a kid who's never really had to, but has on occasions been pushed where he wants to fight back, but has always been villainized for using what he's capable of. So he's just decided to, you know, play it calm and quiet until Oren ticked him off. And then, so that's what brings him to the Stepford community to try and confront him and do something, which then is revealed that Oren isn't just rich, isn't just well-connected, but has ties to abominable influences beyond our realm that give him way more power, which (laughs) seems hopeless until Alan attracts sources of power of the same sort. And thus it begins the struggle of, you have the ability to do what you want. How far should you go in any time? Hmm. 
I like this idea. So one thing we didn't cover last time, and it seems like a perfect spot to start out and, and really like drill down into it is that um, Alan does have abilities himself, but really the way that you just described it to me felt so succinct that he also requires community help. He requires the ability to draw in resources from outside himself to accomplish his goals. Well, that's Is that how you feel about the story at this point change. as well? Because it could be that initially he's okay. still quote unquote in his shell and then feels like he needs to play nice. Then maybe as frustrations mount, as challenges get better mm-hmm. or bigger, then he starts to push himself and realize that he's capable of so much more. Then does he continue working with people like we're taught, you know, always play nice, be a team player, all that stuff. Or does Mm -hmm. he say, I'm going to become the solo champion because none of you can keep up with me. You incompetent ingrates. Mm. (laughs) Yes, And then he kind of gets a little bit darker. If he goes that direction, he decides that he's going to force because then he feels guilty for it because something bad might happen, but then he also gets rewards and, I like the idea of constant where both sides have their pros and cons. So it's never a clear cut answer either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I like that as well. I think I like the idea too, that at least at some point he is bringing people around him, not necessarily peaches. I think we still have to deal with her a little bit and kind of figure out her role. I don't think that she ever even attempts to ally with people. I think that she offers information yes. that creates chaos for the sake of chaos. Uh, but there's there's somebody else in the town who mm-hmm. aligns with Alan for one reason or another. Maybe they've always had a bone to pick with Orin as well. Um, and I also like, so I was thinking about this, um, obviously, mm-hmm. because Jeremy Renner had that terrible accident uh, with <laughs> with the, the not the snow plow. I guess it was a snow plow. And, um, you know, in the Avengers movies, he is, other than having maybe slightly enhanced eyesight, just a mm-hmm. totally normal human being interacting with super powered other people. I kind of think we would benefit from having that character in this town and this story allied with Alan and perhaps at one point is helpful to Alan, but then becomes a bit of a ball and chain for him because maybe a small amount of loyalty, but also just realizing this person holds me back a little bit or is a liability or caring well, about then the person's liability. So what are your thoughts questions? there? Like, is it a competent person? Like by mm-hmm. any normal standards, he would be the best friend to have, but on a cosmic scale, it's yes. just, so it's someone that everyone, right. so everyone in the audience from yeah. their normal perspective would say like, this guy's the greatest, except for Alan, the greatest is still not enough because he's still human. So how would he play into the town? Because yes. if Orin's influence in the town is that powerful, how is this guy able to fight back? Is he like got like an underground railroad type? He's, you know, on the surface very loyal, but then underneath always doing stuff to yeah. us, cut against the Orin family. What are you thinking? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. My feeling is, is that there is a degree of mm-hmm. cooperation on the surface. Um Yeah, I like that. I like that analogy of the Underground Railroad. I think that that's probably the case, but it has to be fairly insignificant. I still feel like it has to be fairly insignificant. It has to be more of a a loyalty type of a situation where this person has loyalty to somebody who wants to go against Orin, but maybe not the means to do a lot. What if those cracks are exactly, the resistance is exactly what motivates Alan to go on his own? Because it seems on the surface that Orin has control of the entire town. 
But underneath that control, even his lieutenants mm-hmm. are constantly vying for power, eyeing situations where they can turn him over. And so Alan, mm-hmm. as he's fighting him with people that want to turn on him, mm-hmm. keeps seeing the, the worst side of humanity and wonders, mm-hmm. okay, when are they going to turn on me now? Ah, yes. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah you have people who are playing both sides and, and, so like and in Hawkeye that way. Okay, I'll just I like that. I like that, that a lot. Hawkeye for now. Then it could be that he is the one genuine loyal person, but yeah. Alan can't trust him because everyone else has screwed him over or is playing some other game. How can he trust Hawkeye, mm-hmm. even though he is actually the one person he should trust? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that that's really, really important. I think mm-hmm. that that's a, a powerful piece of this story that gives mm-hmm. everybody humanity and it gives you the ability, well, humanity, it gives everybody mm-hmm. the ability to be seen clearly because if you have the right perspective writing this story or telling this story, then you know a mm-hmm. lot more about everyone's motivations and you have that agony of being like, oh no, this is actually, this this would be a good thing, but you pass up a great opportunity for fear of now, being betrayed of humanity, or though, you know, the consequences. What about Orin? Because some people love a villain who's just you know mm-hmm. balls to the walls evil some like the nuanced character yeah do we try to make Orin sympathetic or do we just commit mm-hmm. that he is just 100 grade a villain yeah i really like we talked about in the last conversation that book stoner with the two professors and one of them is just straight up evil and loves to see mm-hmm. you know evil things and takes pleasure in it i really like that that kind of a villain right now I think even even if I'm just thinking about storytelling at this moment in time, having villains that are pure villains again is probably where things are headed. We've had a mm-hmm. lot of our Thanos, as I know I'm talking a lot of MCU right now. We've mm-hmm. had a lot of the relatable um, villains and the mm-hmm. antiheroes like Breaking Bad or something like that. Even arguably Tony Soprano going back a while. We've been sitting, I think, for a couple maybe 20 years or so inside of the the revolution mm-hmm. of the sympathetic bad guy or the anti-hero. And I really like maybe taking a shot at doing, you know, if not, I mean, I don't need my hero to be like angelic or, you know, unflawed, but I think having just so a straight up. Then this comes fun. into the question. We've both talked about how we do sequels and stuff because who has, who can fit all of their ideas into just one book, right? Mm-hmm. So what if Orin is merely a stepping stone villain? As he's about to be taken out and then Alan's Mm, looking into him for being a terrible person. He's like, you think I wanted this? I did this to survive. You think our community is the only one out there? And that just opens up. There are others. (laughs) And then it's, he is a small fish in a very, very big pond who just happens to Mm -hmm. seem like a whale in our world. Then that just opens up an opportunity because or like in the beginning, if you have a pure villain, where do you move from there? That is an opportunity to open it up and to expand into the entire Stepford universe as it will. Yeah, exactly. I like that a lot. I also, um, not to borrow too heavily mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Uh, Wrinkle in Time, Madeline Langle's books, uh, but I do feel like part of that, there, there's an appeal to, uh, um, excuse me, like a pure evil that is also on the surface of it looking very orderly. Um, so I think a lot of times, in fact, in my own writing project right now, I kind of am mm-hmm. using the archetypes of chaos and order. Um, and chaos is, is almost stereotypically the villain and order is, well, anyways, 
But I think Mm -hmm. it would be fun to flip that on its head and work inside of that paradigm as well to say like this orderliness of the Stepford towns is the evil. Yeah, in which case then we play that that Alan was not just smart, but in a chaotic way where he was coming up with ideas that challenged the norms, oftentimes left professors baffled. Mm -hmm. And so Orn was not only jealous, it was an existential threat to him in some way. Ooh, okay. All right. I like that. I like that. And this is interesting. Did we travel over and I've just, I've just lost that piece of the thread of Oren being jealous. That's a really interesting thing that if I missed it last time, I missed a piece of gold because mm-hmm. having, having Oren be jealous gives, even though we're going to do pure evil, it still gives a nuance yeah. to his behaviors. It's not just like he wants to destroy Alan, but that it's he's almost jealous like we talked all around it because we discussed how we wanted to keep the mm-hmm. motivations grounded and, even if there's a cosmic scale of power, the story is still personal about people and their motivations. And so that was just one of the most straightforward mm-hmm. reasons on why Orin would screw over someone who has nothing to do with him. He made him feel bad. What about it? Mm-hmm. We were talking about Alan being smart. So that yeah. kind of thing, jealousy is one of the most naturally That's right. That's right. easy to find motivations for villainy. Yeah. It is. And I agree with you, though. It's interesting that it isn't always necessarily stated mm-hmm. up front that jealousy is what it is. I keep going back to Stoner because I think that we're playing. It's it's odd that we're playing so close to like mm-hmm. a very classically literary story and yet doing it in a very supernatural and magical kind of way. But, yeah, that that like that story is really about jealousy. It's somebody who says, like, how can you just love teaching Mm -hmm. for the pure joy of teaching and how can you love doing what you're doing for no other reason than that it makes you happy uh those kind of people are kind of indestructible so i want with that said i want alan to have Mm -hmm. that kind of quality to him that uh he just is purely passionate about something so we need to move the story forward but i also want to know now what do you think is alan's pure joy what what well, is the thing that, that is something about? i would have to think about because I, n- I haven't co- approached it from this perspective because yeah that doesn't quite mesh with the living quietly right. kind of thing that we've been discussing about okay it's possible that he was quietly pursuing his interests yeah. but those were not things that mm. i would put together from the get-go yeah so i don't I, i'm not i don't think i'm saying what you hear me saying i think what i'm saying is he has something that he's purely joyful about so uh, i'm getting to the point now where i keep mentioning one particular guest and i haven't even aired her episode but she talked about how she writes five hours a day and then spends the rest of the day in leisure i might have even mentioned it in the last time we talked um but i'm thinking about mm-hmm. that being like for me I have an ambition to have the bestseller. That's actually a a true ambition. I want one of my books to be a bestseller, to put that particular logo up on my website and yada, yada, be able to say like, hey, my name's Jody J. Sperling and I'm a New York Times bestseller, whatever it might be. You know, Um, I don't think that I'm thinking of it in those terms for Alan. I'm actually thinking it might be something that he has, like a true pleasure in a delicious meal or a true pleasure in... He's the kind of guy who can go to work, work nine to five, clock out. And the minute he walks out of the oh, building, so work just sort think, of like sloughs off of him. I think what, yeah, like, I so, yeah, would consider that contentment, a person who does not need anything more. Okay. And so he's happy to study. Mm-hmm. He enjoys it. He's like, 
Oren can't stand cafeteria food, but Alan will go and then he has a great time and then he'll get stuff and then he'll eat it and then he'll be happy yeah. about it. So yeah, that's less passion for me and more just someone who just can enjoy stuff. Mm-hmm. And then perhaps Oren being spoiled, mm-hmm. desensitized to it can no longer do it. So that's why he has to push himself to further and further extremes to get some kind of stimulus because he's become so mm-hmm. deadened to it. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a classmate that I had in my time mm-hmm. at Eastern Washington University um, who I wrote a story. He actually approached mm-hmm. me. So I was a second year when he was a first year and he approached me after my story had been read. And, and he's like, Oh, you know about this particular thing. And he's like, I grew up with that. And um, he's like, I, I've never heard anybody else mention mm-hmm. that particular person. So we have this conversation and mm-hmm. become really close friends. And we trade work a lot. We talk on the phone regularly. Even after I graduate, I help him get a job at the company I'm working for. And for about a period of five years, I spoke to him so regularly, he became like family for me. Um, And I'm saying all of this to say that I have always been Mm -hmm. that same ambitious person I was just mentioning. He always, he was always like, I don't do social media. I don't do this. I like to go rock climbing. Um, I like to whatever. I mean, he just was like Mm -hmm. the anti ambitious kind of person. At the Mm -hmm. same time, he would always say, you know, one day I'm going to be a bestseller. It wasn't ambition. It was just kind of like he claimed this thing. And over that period of time, he published in some of the most prestigious literary magazines, mm-hmm. journals out there. And he would send his work. He would be like, I just had a feeling I should send it today. He sent it. He gets accepted. Me, I'm mm-hmm. sending out. I'm like, I've got a spreadsheet over here. I've got all kinds of stuff. I'm writing. I'm, I'm you know, getting edits mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sending stuff out. And I'm getting rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. There were times when I actually had to confess to him. Be I like, I'm so much. jealous of you. Because... I do. Yeah, exactly. You're my, you're my great, great friend. And I'm so jealous because not only do I see no evidence that you're working as hard as I am, but Mm -hmm. your success is what Mm -hmm. I've always longed for, for myself. Um, And that's interesting. I didn't know I was actually bringing that into the story, but that's exactly what I'm bringing into the story is that that kind of a a situation. If I were Oren watching somebody be so casual, so, Mm -hmm. you know, uninhibited, and yet, damn it, mm-hmm. you have what I want. And then this How is, is this where possible? then I would say, what kind of Alan are we going for? Because the quiet kid with like the trigger mm-hmm. switch doesn't really fit with that. Because if you're genuinely, you know, content with everything, that kind of, you know, like killer instinct isn't really there. I mean, yeah, they say, you know, the, the nicest people are the most can have the most anger, but it feels like it would be better as two different kinds of characters. And we need to pick which one we're going with the way you mentioned it. Very, that seems like I would be more of, instead of an angry character, a mournful character where that he likes things, he's happy. And then he's okay. more than willing to work with anyone because he has mm-hmm. no guile or adver- animosity towards anyone. And then so to be just backstabbed by someone for nothing he did, I feel like that would hurt him more than anger him. Mm -hmm. And then so Mm. then you can make that as a, well, here's the chaos and order thing. You can, I had a friend once who Mm -hmm. 
we had a very different opinion on if you could mind control people into doing the right thing, would you? He was absolutely yes. Order, mm-hmm, we will right. impose it. I was no. Free will is the only th- sacred thing in this world that we will not touch it. <laughs> so yeah, if that's Alan a, that's is a moral character and then he wants to just make the problems go away, that could be a very strong incentive for the otherworldly power for him to be able to literally take control of people in a way that Orin wishes he could, only to realize that he's literally robbing people mm, of their okay. humanity. Is it worth it? Interesting. It's so it's like at this point we have yeah. like that's fascinating. Based on what kind of character Alan has, very different directions we can take the story. What are your feelings on this? Ooh, I really I, I like your idea. I love I love this story creation because there are so many ways that we can go. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a stubbornness emerging in me right now that I'm finding out. Like, how do I how do I create <laughs> a, a a person who can blend um, sort of that like carefree take or leave it um mm-hmm. attitude that i was talking about with the kind of person who has a, a hair trigger and so my thought process there was if i can do that then i have to have one thing that isn't necessarily hopefully that's a delicious outsider just sipped um Dang it. <laughs> it looked like a delicious scotch. If you're just listening, uh, it's even in a nice looking goblet kind of a glass. So nice. mine's apple cider too, by the way. Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, okay. I'm thinking there is, I have an idea and that's, yeah. Go. So there are different kinds of people who can reach the same way through different means. Some people are naturally carefree. Mm-hmm. Some people choose it. And so it could be that he's a person with genu- who's just okay. passionate in general with strong feelings, and he's taught himself or almost forced himself mm-hmm. to try to ignore the negative ones, to just focus on the things that make him happy. And so mm-hmm. while it may seem on the mm-hmm. surface that he's a happy-go-lucky person, it's because he's consciously yeah. suppressing a portion of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the reason that I really dig that, unfortunately, is totally a selfish reason mm-hmm. is that I actually feel like that's who I am in the world. <laughs> there are a lot of people who are like, wow, Jody, you're just like, you're, you're go with the flow kind of a guy. Um, if you get to know me, you know, pretty quickly that there are some like mm-hmm. hot button issues that just. Okay. Like, then that way we blend the two characters into one where then mm-hmm. because he's had so much practice with it, then it's kind of the, then we just progress with the natural. When he starts to learn that he doesn't have to control himself, it'll be that initial, this feels really weird, but it's going back to who he actually is. Then it's the, to quote one of the greatest philosophers, mm-hmm. which is greater to be born good or to overcome evil with great effort. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is a good question. Yeah. And then so Truly the fact that he has question. power, it's, one side says to be true to yourself, but then another is be true to your will. But then will can be used to domineer mm-hmm. what is good, like Orin is with society. Or it could be mm-hmm. creating chaos, like what Peaches wants, which may end up hurting a lot of people. And Alan is the one who has to choose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's funny we're we're, <laughs> we're still we're still just mapping characters which i think is is really fun i hope everybody enjoys oh. listening to this as much as i'm enjoying digging into it because i don't i don't even want to continue to tell the story one of the the <laughs> thoughts that you just gave me from what you were saying was that what if uh what if unbeknownst to everybody who is consuming this story the whole time, you actually, <laughs> this is against what I even said it was going to be, but what if you think that Alan mm-hmm. is, is your good guy, your protagonist, and Oren is your bad guy, your antagonist? What if it does end up that Peaches is ultimately the antagonist? Because that sort of, I don't know, I... I it, I don't know exactly how to voice how the thought came to me, mm-hmm. but it was it was when you were talking about mm-hmm. the, the different ways that people functioned. And suddenly I thought, you mm-hmm. have this whole stage play going on, and then you have this person who just really okay. I, yeah, I, I, so I can't even well, say so, I just, you know what I'm saying? I'm, as we mentioned, as I mentioned last time, I read a lot of comics, specifically a lot of the Murrah martial arts world ones, because yeah. those are just stupid good seriously yeah. if you haven't treat yourself read some of the korean manhwa you will not be disappointed if you like power <laughs> trips and revenge stories and a lot of awesome fluffy fluffy fun side characters but yes in a lot of martial arts one of the evil styles yes. is the ability to absorb the energy of other people to make yourself stronger so mm-hmm. it's like you know the classic good guys they develop their own yeah. it's slow it's methodical but it's really stable. You grow power chaotically fast, but then it can have all sorts of yep. impact. Peaches gets her name because she's always mm-hmm. eating peaches, right? What are those peaches and where mm-hmm. did they come from? Because what if in the epilogue, Alan has gone to war, <laughs> they clash, powers are flying, and one of them is beaten. Well, what happened to their patron, all their powers? What if peaches comes along and plucks it up and it transforms? Uh into a fruit which she eats into a becoming peach. a little younger a yeah. little more lively a little more powerful because she set up the entire thing yes. to consume other outer gods i love it i actually really love that idea i i think that it's a lot of fun i think it's a fun twist and a uh a reveal so yeah i'm all i'm 100 game for that so you have your frodo mm-hmm. versus sauron and frodo Probably mm-hmm. wins. I feel like Frodo does win. And I think mm-hmm. that, so this is something I've been thinking a lot about as well as mm-hmm. writing series where you don't have to be committed mm-hmm. to the same style. So the way that I would see that in comics is, you know, mm-hmm. you have a certain illustrative style in comics. And every time you see Batman in a certain comic book series, mm-hmm. Batman has to look exactly the same. If you mm-hmm. jump into a different version, yeah. you can change the way he looks. But I like this idea that within this universe, each comic book mm-hmm. or each book that we do or each graphic mm-hmm. novel, however, this story ends up on the page, because I'm positive it's going to end up on the page. Mm-hmm. You can you can just jump genres. I really like that idea. And part of that is, you know, that that like you went from having your classic good versus evil battle to maybe then actually having the opportunity mm-hmm. to have an anti-hero at some point in the story language, and explore all of the those first things. Major that writing sense? project I ever did was a series of short stories <laughs> as a fan fiction. And the, my favorite part about it was because I could jump genres. I could write one that was like more of an action scene. Then there was like a fluffy slice mm-hmm. of life stuff. Then we can do something heavily yeah. into the romance stuff. Then we can switch it up into a drama. And that way, yeah. you can put the characters into all sorts of different situations. 
It's like in the sequel, you had this big epic battle and then Alan's tired yeah. and maybe he gets pulled into like some like kitsy little world where it's like insignificant fights and then he's just kind of like babysitting the entire time and then it's just more of a slice of like fun time to kind of mm-hmm. decompress but <laughs> yeah. also ways to explore the universe right. in a different facet yeah I, i'm 100 on board yeah yeah absolutely that is that's fantastic so mm-hmm. jumping i think mm-hmm. jumping out of the story for a mm-hmm. second because something i'm really curious to hear you talk about is i haven't confirmed this yet but my sense is at some level you identify with and care about the artfulness of writing and telling stories what and consuming stories. Mm-hmm. I even wonder, yeah, exactly. So what I wonder is, do you believe that the highest priority in a, a book is to entertain? Mm-hmm. Um, that's my mm-hmm. first question. And I'll kind of build so on it after actually, I hear from you. That is the First blog post that I have put on my website, you can find that at jasonchangscribbles.com because it's one of the most fundamental things about writing. Because I was a briefly an English teacher, I did law and stuff. So I've thought about this a lot and I've boiled down that a good story. So there are actually only two things that a good story needs to do, and they are equal in value, but very different. The first is to entertain, you have to capture the audience's attention long enough to do the second thing, which is to convince them of what you're trying to tell them. You cannot do the second without the first, because if your book is boring, no one's going to want to read it. That's why all the good books that they taught us in the English class are hot garbage because they're awful. James Joyce, I do not like you. Your portrait of an artist as a young man is wrong, and I will fight everyone who says otherwise. Strong opinions, yes. But if you just entertain, that's like cake and frosting and empty calories where someone can sit there and consume it and be entertained, but it doesn't actually do anything of worth. You've just wasted their time, essentially. Mm -hmm. Best stories are the ones that will keep you engaged and then convince you. And in my opinion, they should convince you of something that edifies you and builds you up as a person, which is why I'm not a fan of a lot of artistic literature because they always paint humanity as the bad guys. Everything is awful. Everything is about trauma and injury and sorrow and heartbreak. And perfect. Life is hard enough without adding to that in my entertainment. I want something that after I read it, I feel energized Mm. and ready to take on the world and do my part in it. So. Yeah. Well, we have to, we have so much to unpack here because uh, on, on the main, I agree with so much of what you said and agreement is not the only form of validation, obviously. Um, But so yes, entertainment is what's on the surface. If you don't have your entertainment, right, you can't do what you want to do. So you have to have it there. That's kind of like, um, I'm trying to build an analogy so that I can really parallel these closely. I think it's kind of like saying money is the primary Mm -hmm. object of my living because I can't Mm -hmm. do anything unless I have money and, or I can do very little of what I want to do without money. However, I could accumulate as much money as I wanted Mm -hmm. to. And if I didn't spend it on something, then the money itself is not important. So in this analogy, I think that entertainment is money Um, and you have to accumulate and use entertainment, Mm -hmm. but you have to spend it on the right things. And so where I'm not, I'm not even going to open up this particular door, but for example, I think 
everything I've read of James Joyce, and I've read quite a bit because I went through a master's of fine arts in, uh, in, you know, creative writing. And so I had to consume like the greats. The only good thing he ever wrote was a story called Araby. And I would agree with you. I'll fight anybody else about the dead. The dead is not great. It's not. I've read it five times uh, in many different ways. It's not great. Um, but mm. Araby is great. Araby is a truly great story. It's a story about a, a boy. For anybody listening, I, I maybe you've read it. But it's a story about a boy who meets a girl and he loves the girl. Like immediately, it's like love at first sight. And he wants to make a grand gesture to win her heart. And he goes about trying to make this grand mm. gesture and it fails. And he realizes like there is heartbreak. And I'm not saying every story has to be that way. Cause that goes right directly mm-hmm. into your point about like heartbreak's not the only thing, but that moment of epiphany for him is what makes that story so great. And a love story is mm-hmm. almost always great. You said that in your first, first time we Absolutely. interviewed that you really are a sucker for love stories as am I. Um, so I, I do love that. The, the one area where I want mm-hmm. to maybe more open up, mm-hmm our kind of philosophies here is, is your idea that you have enough like heartbreak and pain in this life. You don't need mm-hmm. to consume it in your entertainment. Mm-hmm. I think I take issue with that a little bit. I don't know mm-hmm. that you mean it exactly how I hear it though. And so I do want to have mm-hmm. a, a short, but frank conversation about that. My sense is that, um, God, analogies are so much easier for me to use. I don't know if they're always the most effective, but there's an artist musician named William Fitzsimmons that I love. Every single song that he's ever written Mm -hmm. sounds sad, sorrowful. Um, And he's a singer songwriter. When I listen to his music and his lyrics are about divorce and brokenness and pain, but when I listen to his music, it uplifts me. It makes me feel lighter. It makes me feel like I can take the world on. Um, and the Sparrow and the Crow is a great album for anybody who wants to just kind of like dip in and and have a listen to what he's doing. Sometimes I think that art Mm -hmm. is alchemy. Mm -hmm. It takes these painful feelings and it exposes you to them and then elevates them so that you are able to approach your own sorrow. Cause that's the thing you least want. I would rather abolish sorrow than to be entertained and yes, forget and the sorrow is there. Does that, that make sense? That is where I would say that this is one of the fundamental yeah, differences in your audiences, because like you can talk about, how, like you just mentioned how yeah. you can hear sad things and then it lifts you up. I had, don't think I've ever felt yeah. like that. There have been times when I've been upset and then I've heard, like, listen to a sad song and it, it makes me like, it's like a purge because it gets, it intensifies the emotion so I can get it out and process it. But then I move on and feel better because the emotion Mm -hmm. is gone. Not because it somehow made me feel good, if that makes sense. So I am not a person who. Like, let's yeah. take your analogy of a listening to a muse song about divorce. The analytical part of my brain would then immediately go, mm-hmm. well, if this person was such a terrible person because, you know, they cheated on you and did this, all, why did you marry them in the first place? I mean, then isn't that kind of mm-hmm. on you because you made a bad decision? In which case, why should I feel bad for you for something that you in your own power decided to do? So I can't feel like mm-hmm. that. I don't have much. I'm not a very sympathetic person if I, yeah. And to be fair, that's how I treat myself. Yeah. So pain is always a stimulus for me to examine and find yeah, sure. evidence of 
Why is there pain? What was the mistake? How do I rectify that? Mm-hmm. So pain in itself mm. is merely a tool and I get insufficient amounts of it that I mm-hmm. don't need to add on to it. So while someone like you can enjoy something sad, mm-hmm. the sadness would only be valuable for me if it set up a greater happiness. Like, like the, Ele- yeah. what was the story? Elaby? Araby. Yeah. So for that Araby, one, yeah. my perfect story would be where he has the heartbreak, but then it has a happy ending because the girl does fall for him because she saw what he was doing throughout the entire time. And then as he was setting up this grand gesture, he showed his character as a good person mm-hmm. that while he could have been domineering and then mm-hmm. getting angry at people when someone was in trouble, he actually helped them out a bit, doing little things here and there. And that was mm-hmm. what won her heart. That would be, make, that would for me would be the best ending and the only one where I could walk away really satisfied. Because if mm-hmm. it's just, he'd lost the girl, he failed. Interesting. I'd just wow, be like, come on, man, I didn't need this. I'm just going to spoil it for all the listeners. We're not going to get to the end of our Alan Oren and Peaches story because we're going to, we're going to stay right here because this is fascinating to me. And, and uh, I'm just hoping that when I'm fascinated, other people are, that's actually a, a, a personal thing. I was looking at my download stats on Apple specifically recently. And I was like, Oh man, my, my um, average consumption rate on the episodes recently has not been as good as I would like it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to go with this because uh, damn it all. If I can't, if I can't have fun, then what's the point? Uh, so here's the thing though, is that when I mm-hmm. am writing any story, the greatest story, yeah. okay. All right. I gotta, I gotta back up again. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a Christian context. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you grew up religious. I don't want to talk religion, but I want to explain mm-hmm. why I think that this exists is to me still the greatest story is that a, a man or woman, a person lays down mm-hmm their life for somebody else. I really dig self-sacrifice. So uh, a couple that I think of, uh, though the story is better, um, that Will Smith movie with the the zombies where he, he said, I am legend. Thank you. Yeah. That one, that, that sacrifice story really uh, works well for me as well as did seven pounds. Um, Mm -hmm. Both of those stories worked really well for me because sacrifice has this like sweet Mm -hmm. love to it that just will like Mm -hmm. stick with me for a long time. It's probably the only lingering thing because I'm no longer particularly Mm -hmm. religious though. I again, don't want to talk about it, but it Mm -hmm. is the lingering thing in the Bible that I love is the idea of Mm -hmm. somebody laying down his life for, for his people that he loves Mm -hmm. them so much. He was willing to do it. That's a sadness thing though. And I write that into a lot of my stories. The idea that the main character comes to the conclusion that the only way to save the day is to give themselves Mm -hmm. up for the, the greater cause this is deep into psychology, but I'm curious about your thoughts based yeah. on and this this fundamental thing that yeah, you differ so on. How do you how do you perceive that? I grew up in a religious context, and I will say that I am still deeply rooted in that. Yeah. It's the only thing that's gotten me to where I am today. I okay. don't wear just this just for show, just uh, you know, showing awesome. off a little of the bling. But right, yeah. So I yeah. agree awesome. with you all the way, except I take it one step further. Because mm-hmm. the thing about my faith that carries me on is that the sacrifice at the end isn't the actual end. Just like Good Friday isn't the end, we move mm-hmm. on to Easter where there's the resurrection and we have the genuine happy ending. So mm-hmm. a lot of the times when there's a sacrifice, 
There's yeah. always, if it's in a non, you know, religious setting, there's always for me a sense of sadness because that is the final moment that you'll like, you know, if someone dies for someone they love, they'll never see each other again. That's it. They're separated for what, whether mm-hmm. it's the end of life or for eternity, if you don't believe in that. And that to me, just no matter how beautiful the sacrifice was, mm-hmm. is still always going to be a little tragic. The faith part of me, however, believes that there mm-hmm. is something after that and that after the sacrifice, they will have their reward where yeah. they will be reunited in a place that makes it even better. And that's what I hold on to. That to me is the ultimate end. Mm-hmm. Even so, every hardship will always somehow turn out for the better if you're doing the right thing. So that's why I always have to have happily ever after because that's my, my entire belief system that there is one. That's a massive if mm-hmm. that you threw in there. So I want to draw attention to it. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a really big if to to. To say that if your intentions or your heart is right, then Mm -hmm. your sacrifice will lead to a better outcome. That's an if I'm not willing to gamble on, actually. Um, I'm I'm going to choose not Mm -hmm. to share the specific reason why I disagree Mm -hmm. with that, because... I feel like the actual reason is manipulative. Mm -hmm. You can't introduce this detail into a story without Mm -hmm. forcing somebody to Mm -hmm. choose their words wisely. And we can't have a great conversation if I do that. However, let me tell you that in a fully invested way, um, yes, I am a bad person. I No, no, no. It's okay. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, yes, you are. No, we don't know each other well enough for you to know how bad I am. But um, I, and and, and this is interesting that this keeps coming up on the podcast right now. It's like a podcast for friends in some ways, because I keep saying I'm a bad person and, and laying out the different ways where I struggle with addiction. I struggle with, um, I wouldn't call it kleptomania, but I definitely went through a period of my life where I just really enjoyed stealing shit. And mm-hmm. um, I have betrayed humans. Uh, I have yeah. broken every commandment mm-hmm. in one way or another, if we're talking about a religious context, mm-hmm. like I've done bad, bad things. And a lot of times people at this point are like, well, I've done bad things too. And I'm like, I promise you. And this mm-hmm. is not bragging. This is just saying mm-hmm. I've made so many bad choices. Um, and I, I'm not a good person. And um, I don't think yeah. that I've always had the right heart for everything that I've done. I think I started this podcast to get people fascinated with me. I think I started it for the wrong reasons mm-hmm. because I wanted people to to love me. I think I still struggle with that desire. Um, what I have noticed is that it's working now. And so I know this is a really long explanation and I thank you for, for letting me just kind of ramble on, but I really feel like that's the well, one. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because me. that's not something I disagree with. I 100% agree with that intentions yeah. aren't the end all be all. In fact, a lot of times it was, I believe C.S. Lewis who said mm-hmm. that between a tyrant and who abuses you for their own benefits and one who does it for your interest, he'll take the selfish one every time because the person who abuses you for your good will justify it as righteousness and they will never stop. Or to put it more simply, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I agree. And that's, and that's the thing. It's that, yeah, it's never about you. It's always about grace that you are going to stumble and screw Mm -hmm. up and you're not going to make the right choices and you're going to, fail and fail hard like 
I personally have done repeatedly for mm-hmm. many years. But despite you, that yeah. someone is watching out for you. The whole foundation of my faith is because I had the best parents mm-hmm. ever. I will literally fight anyone who disagrees on me with them. And that's the thing. So yeah, so I was always able to relate to the the guy in the sky, you know, the judgmental guy as an actual dad, because my dad was such a great example. So the idea of someone who has that power and is literally there because he's just watching out for you. That's how I relate to it. So that no matter like your toddler screws up, but the dad's happy. He's just trying. And so he'll make it work out. Your dad, your kid, helps out in the kitchen, doesn't cut, you know, the vegetables very well and stuff, but it's okay. We'll still have dinner and we'll still enjoy kind of deal. So you're right. 1000%. It's not about the intentions. It's about that. As long as you're chasing that relationship between you and your dad, that's what makes it work out because he loved you first. Mm. And so you can go after him. Yeah. 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 So very important. I I hear where you're coming from. Um, Intentus. No, you're totally, yeah, you're totally, you're totally fine. I, I just, I do look at it because even mm-hmm. today, for example, um, I think I mentioned this last time we talked, mm-hmm. but I'm running ads on Facebook to try to sell my books and because it's getting better every day. Uh, so, but I was watching, I was watching today, just fail, 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 fail. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm rapidly evolving the webpage that people are landing on off of the ads based off of the recordings mm-hmm. that I see, how they're behaving when they get there, all of the different data points that I have. I'm trying to make this more appealing to mm-hmm. the person that I want to read my book. Um, and as I'm watching, like yesterday, I sell a copy or I sell, I sell a set of books. And then a little bit later, I sell another set of books and I'm like, great, we're good. Okay. Now I just have to get this landing page really mm-hmm. dialed in and it's going to be better and better and better. And I can start to scale and I'm really excited. And so I make a couple changes and I see that lead to positive outcomes. I had a 5% conversion rate. I made those changes. I moved up to almost a 7% conversion rate from the ad to the landing page to the checkout. Today, I'm watching steadily as I'm backsliding towards six, down through six, almost back into five. And I'm like, why can I not? Like every change I make is actually making this worse. And I'm using proven like things that people said they liked when I ran other ads. It's, it's a long, the, I'm trying to be succinct here. I immediately in my heart and mind went to that place where I was like, I must've done something wrong. This is literally like God karma or something like religious karma is causing me to backslide because I'm not meant to be a bestseller, even though it's what I desire so deeply. I must not be meant to be that. And and I'm just going to get crushed. That's one of the hardest parts because that's the classic. Well, if someone is watching out for you, then why does everything you do fail? And then it's like, oh, well, it's because if it's part of his great plan, isn't that a lot of hand waving and stuff? And just to say like, your everything is out of your control. And the answer is honestly kind of yes, because life is going to be hard and it's going to suck a lot. And so sometimes there's no real reason for it other than the mechanics of the world are just churning away. So when you're in a situation like that, mm-hmm. those are rough because everything someone says to try to help you will sound like a platitude because at that point, what else can you say except platitudes? Yes. So... Mm-hmm. All I'm going to say is that yeah. sucks, man, but I'm impressed that you took it away because I was here. you with the analytics. Yeah. I was like, I'm never going to yeah. be able to do that. I'm not even going to try to do that. So, you know, kudos. Kudos to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I am I am deeply passionate about about making this dream work, and uh, mm-hmm. the the program I'm doing right route right now is helpful. Um, so this is uh, and and we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here, but this is something I'm thinking about in terms mm-hmm. of my my uh, religious upbringing mm-hmm. and your your current faith, um, and I'm I'm thinking both mm-hmm. of of my 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 dad. And mm-hmm. his wife, my stepmom, uh, share a particular value with you. So that's also triggering to me of of why in the world would I waste my time on sadness mm-hmm. when there's enough sadness and heartbreak in this world? And then I'll throw into the mix that my closest friend for many years, his name is Charlie. He he bought a copy of this book off of Amazon where it's full price. So thank you, Charlie. Um, he has stated openly that he believes that life is about suffering um, and you can't escape suffering because that's part of what we're here to learn. He's a very deeply religious man. Um, I used to cry listening to him uh, preach about things and be deeply moved. Still just so much respect and admiration for him as a person. And I start to think, there's a way in which the worldview that this world is about suffering. And so if I'm going to seek entertainment, I want to seek that warm, happily ever after feeling. I can't resign myself to or even consign myself to the feeling that mm-hmm. that is the best way to entertain myself. So I've given you roughly six minutes to try yeah. to try to say something yeah. in response no, no. to that. I know that's not fair and I apologize. I think it's just the centerpiece is that the world isn't about suffering. The world has suffering. It, and that is a very big yeah. distinction because I don't think that we're put here to hurt. Hurt, I think, is simply a byproduct of how decisions mm. in the past have affected the present. You can talk about original sin and all that stuff. And let's not go into theology yeah. because, you know, even I'm not, that's a sink. But all to say is that yeah. it is going to be hard. <laughs> But the best things worth doing are, and it's not to say that there mm-hmm. won't be good things and there won't be joy, but some people like me are naturally more negative. I'm a very negative and pessimistic purpose person by oh, interesting. default. So for me to fight against my worst nature, I mm-hmm. need to focus on what is good. And that's what works for me. I'm not saying it's bad for anyone else. Yeah. I'm saying I have literally never been able to operate a different way because I still remember when I was younger watching a, uh, the pianist, you know, it was a, a movie for anyone who doesn't know yeah, yeah. a movie about a concert musician, a Jew in during the Holocaust. And I was watching with my parents and about halfway through, I literally got up and left because I could not endure watching people suffer that much. I just, I couldn't wow. handle okay. it. And I've never yeah. been able to do that because it just makes me feel so mm. it gums up my motors and everything. So for me, some people are diesel. Some people burn gasoline. I'm just specifically that one way. And that's why yeah. I write the way I do because I like, and because it's not about just distracting yeah. you. It's as J.R. Tolkien said, fairy mm-hmm. stories aren't important because dragons are real, but that they show that dragons can be beaten. And so the happy ending isn't to distract you from the mm-hmm. sad things, the heartache, the difficulties. It's to put those in context and understand that, what you're feeling now is actually going mm-hmm. to turn out better. Not sure how maybe, but this is an mm. example of how things turn around.
All right, folks, and that is where I decided that this episode had a nice natural break. We did carry on speaking about uh, religion and spirituality and our differences of opinion, but I felt like things were quite civil in this part of the conversation. Not that they ever weren't civil, but I did begin to push back a little bit more. And um, while I wasn't concerned about me looking like a a punk, I do know that he did or this isn't the right word. Intense conversations about religion can be off-putting for some of my listeners. It's something that I am not really certain where I stand on, so I felt like, for that reason, it was incomplete reportage at best. Hope I made the right choice here uh, and that you enjoyed this episode and everything that it came to mean. We still didn't get to the conclusion. Uh, if you want to finish out the story, I'd be happy to invite you on the show to tell your part uh, of the conclusion of our Manhattan story. And again, thank you for listening. Much appreciated. We'll talk with you again next Monday. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?